Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Before we read uh, from Psalm 119, I wanted to ask, did anybody have anything from worship that you saw or wanted to share? Yeah, I had a, a picture of um, just somebody with their hands raised up, kind of worshiping us towards the end. Uh, it's like an, and I saw just an angel with a huge sword come up and just spear them in the middle of the gut and then kind of twist it and then take it out and whatever he took out was just junk demons you know anything that was not of God it was almost like in, in an act of worship the, the angel just came in just took a spear and then just through worship just took out things that were not of, of God and useful for the kingdom that were kind of manifesting it inside the person and then um, uh, that's it. I, I've got my opinions on what that might mean, but um, that's I just wanted to share that vision. Amen. Yeah, that's that's, uh, that's really cool. Just in that the worship opens up avenues for freedom, mm-hmm. right? And that the Lord can come in and remove that which afflicts us or has us bound. Right? There's freedom in the Lord. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. A real wind of change, really a change of direction. And, and, you know, when you spoke about the, the wind going one direction and turning back the other, I always think of how in the scripture, the Lord or the scripture speaks of the Lord coming, uh, with an, or with the, the wind from the East is always a sign of the Lord moving. Right. And then, uh, expectation is the Messiah will come from the East and yeah, the Spirit brings change. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Yeah, I saw this picture of us we were worshiping, like the drum going out, like shockwaves into the crowd, and then the strings and the voices going out into the atmosphere. And I just saw that like, cleansing, like a, like the south going out over mm-hmm. Kingwood and over our, our region. Amen. And our worship here was powerful. It was far reaching beyond. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, may those waves of worship just permeate beyond these walls to change and transform the region around us. Amen. I have to second that and say that there were times in the worship that I heard, I, I don't know if it was just me, but I could almost hear other sounds like in the worship, like another instrument even. I was like, is this just in my head? Or am I hearing this? I don't know. But I got the sense that we were worshiping with the heavenly hosts, you know, there was mm-hmm. more than just us in the room. There were other angels and heavenly hosts, like, worshiping, and I could just see what you were saying, like, that the worship was really just cleansing the land, going forth, and bringing newness of life to us and our area. Yeah. It just felt like there were more in the room. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Yeah, it was powerful. The worship was powerful, and, uh, yeah, to imagine seeing with the heavenly hosts. Because they sing in heaven. Right? And the things we do out here are a picture of what happens in the heavenly places as well. Amen.
Yeah, that's exciting. And and I, I think all these words are connected to just uh, the expectation that good is coming, that that change is coming, and it comes by the Spirit. It comes by the might of God. And 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 He calls us to come along with Him to partner in that change, to partner in that praise, in that worship that opens up the door for the deliverance, that opens up the way for the the course to change. Yeah, I felt like there's an element of deliverance needed in order to walk in the, the new calling or the new stage or the new season or like that. We can't, we can't be taking in what we're, what has kind of held us down and been dragging us along. There's an element of cleansing and renewal for the purpose of going up to that next level and, and either taking more land or or souls or just whatever that next level is. There's, there needs to be a cleansing to, in preparation for whatever is next. Yeah, that's a really good point, Jared, about the cleansing that has to happen to precede the change. And, and when the change happens, uh, the change isn't back to normal. Does that make sense? Like if Something needs to be changed. The idea is not that you just it, it changes and you you go back to normal. It's that you prepare for the change, and then once the change happens, you walk in that newness in order to actually take the ground and to hold it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Well, God's moving this morning, and uh, He's always moving. But it's so cool to to hear all the ways in which the Lord gives a little bit here and a little bit there and, and sharing what his, what his story is for the day. So Lord, may, me, may we continue to have open ears to hear from you, Lord. May you give us eyes to see what it is you're doing, what renewal you're bringing, what needs to be removed, what changes and purification needs to take place so that we can receive the good that you're getting ready to pour out so that we can walk in the paths of righteousness within the change that you are bringing about. And we, we say, yes, Lord, come and have your way. Well, let's go to uh, Psalm 119. Every week we read a section of Psalm 119 to declare the beauty of God's word and to align our hearts with it. So this week we're in section Kaf, which is... Verses 81 through 88. You're welcome to read from there. My soul faints for your salvation, but I hope in your word. My eyes fail for your word, saying, When will you comfort me? For I have become like a bottle in the smoke, yet I do not forget your statutes. How many are the days of your servant? When will you execute judgment on those who persecute me? The proud have dug pits for me, who are not after your Torah. All your commandments are faithful. They persecute me wrongfully. Help me. They had almost consumed me on earth, but I did not forsake your commands. Quicken me after your loving kindness so that I will keep your testimony. Uh, I will keep the testimony of your mouth. I love that they almost destroyed me, but as for me, I didn't forsake your precepts. Revive me according to your loving kindness so I may keep the testimony of your mouth, Lord. Amen. Let's, let's pray, Lord. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that we have the victory in you. We thank you that no weapon formed against us shall prosper in the name of Yeshua. And every uh, tongue that rises against us in judgment will be condemned, Lord. 
We thank you that uh, that we can walk in righteousness and in faith, trusting in you. Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning, and that your name would be lifted high, and that you would receive glory, Lord. We bless you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. All right, um, we're continuing the book of Numbers this morning with uh, Parasha Beha Alotra, and we're, we're not going to pick up at the beginning of the portion, we're going to start a little bit midway in with Numbers 10, starting in verse 11. <clears throat> Now in the second year, in the second month, on the 20th of the month, the cloud was lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the sons of Israel set out on their journeys from the wilderness of Sinai. Then the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. So they moved out for the first time according to the commandment of the Lord through Moses. And skipping forward to verse 33, thus they set out from the mount of the Lord three days journey with the ark of the covenant of the Lord journeying in front of them for three days to seek out a resting place for them. The cloud of the Lord was over them by day when they set out from the camp. Then it came about when the ark set out that Moses said, Rise up, O Lord, and let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. When it came to rest, he said, Return, O Lord, to the myriad thousands of Israel. So what's happening here is the children of Israel have been at Mount Sinai for almost a year. Ten days shy of a year, they set out from Mount Sinai headed for the land that God had promised to give to Abraham's offspring. Now according to Deuteronomy 1-2, from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea was an 11-day journey. But this journey that they set out on didn't take 11 days. It took, I think it was closer to a month. I don't know the exact number, but I think it was approximately a month. <clears throat> and the reason, you know, you ask, well, why didn't it take 11 days if, if Moses said it's an 11 day journey? And the reason was they encountered some problems along the way. Now, interestingly enough, if it had really taken them 11 days, they would have arrived at Kadesh Barnea uh, one year to the day from when they arrived at Sinai. You know, they arrived at Sinai and were ready to receive the covenant. And then a year later, they'd be arriving right there on the border of the land, getting ready to cross over and receive the inheritance. But they, they encountered a problem. So in Numbers 11, verse 1, the scripture says, Now the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died out. So the name of that place was called Tabarah, because the fire of the Lord burned against them. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of 
Pedelium. The people would go out, go about and gather it and grind it between two millstones or beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. So what was the problem? Complaining. Yes. Complaining, that very thing that needs to be speared and drug out of us, right? As, as Jared said. Because <laughs> far too often we fall into complaints. And what we saw, I mean, in this portion you see, okay, you, you had complaining. And then you had craving. And then you went forward and we, towards the end of the parasha, we see uh, the sin of slander. And then... You know, it doesn't really end there. In the coming weeks, we're going to read about the spies who were sent out. And, we're, you know, you just you see these obstacles that were coming along that all were rooted from issues within the individuals that were now stirred up as the time had approached for them to enter into their inheritance. Right? Because think about this. They're complaining about food. Now, I don't know exactly when the complaint came up for when they started to complain about the food. But, you know, the scripture we read said that the ark went ahead of them a three days journey, right? So I don't know. Was it after the three days that they began to to complain about the food? I'm not sure. But if you're on an 11-day trip and you're going to a land flowing with milk and honey, then you would probably expect that you're very soon going to be eating something other than manna. (laughs) And so for complaining about the manna, anyway... It's, it's kind of one of those things that becomes, you look at it and you say, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But yet it was there. And so it stirred up from within the people along the way. Now, of course, the scripture and speaks of, in, in these two times, first it says the people look to seeking complaints. And then in the second one, it says the rabble who were among them. Um, the sages interpret this as being it was the the mixed multitude of people who were traveling along with the children of Israel who were the instigators of the complaints along the way. And But what you see in verse 4 is it said, the rabble that was among them cultivated a craving and the children of Israel also wept again. Right? So they were caught up in it. You know, regardless of whether they were a part of it in the beginning, they were caught up in it. Because we know what Paul says, he says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals, right? What we're listening to, what we're filling our ears with and our minds with, it begins to take more and more root, more and more hold. And so we, we saw that happening. Now, complaining. Complaining. So I've, I've seen various things speaking about, you know, complaining and the sin that, it, that of course it is, but in some cases it, it comes up from a haughtiness within us, a pride issue that we have, or of self-importance, and ultimately even really comes from unbelief, right? Because we tend to look at the circumstances of the situation rather than the capability of God, and so we're trusting in what we see versus what we, what could be, right? So there's these are all these different roots that complaining comes out of, and. The thing is, God's always listening. You know, here in the scriptures it said that God heard and became angry. 
Now, you know, was was God angry with the fact that the, the people saw that maybe they didn't have everything that had been promised or maybe they didn't have everything they wanted? I don't, I don't think that, that was really the reason that his anger stirred up. I think it was actually within the response to the complaint, within the attitude and action that was taken in response to the recognition of the lack, right? Because God actually gave us the ability to see when something's wrong or when there's lack, right? So that we could then take that and make it better. We could, ter- we could see the lack and then we could take action in order to meet the need or to make circumstances and situations better. But again, it's going to come down to what's our response to the lack. What's our response to the need? Is it one of grumbling and complaining, which in itself solves nothing except bringing everyone else down along with you? Or is it that we respond uh, with with positive action and and correction to the situation? Paul encourages us to do all things without grumbling or disputing, right? Because complaining ultimately is a form of evil speech. You think of you know you think about evil speech as being okay that's gossip or slander against a person, but you can also slander uh, a gift that the Lord has given you, right? I mean you're not in, in that you know the thing you're slandering may not have any issue with it, right? But and ultimately you're slandering the Lord who was the provider of the thing. Right? So that evil speech carries on. Um, I was thinking about it, you know. I would say no one wants to be, nobody likes to be around a complainer, someone who complains a whole lot. But then I, I thought about it, I'm like, but you know what? A complainer might like to be around another complainer. <laughs> Unless they're complaining about the wrong thing, and then you can complain about that. <laughs> but anyway, it's, uh, the thing is, the complaining builds upon itself. It becomes a prison for the one who utters the complaint and for the one who hears the complaint. And we do it to ourselves. You know, <laughs> we actually do it to ourselves. I'm not complaining, just stating. <laughs> um, but, okay, so the, the children of Israel were swept up by the cravings uh, of the rabble, they, they were dragged down into crying and, and saying, who will give us meat? Okay. And, but we have to overcome this. We have to overcome it. And Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 10 and 11, he says, Do not grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So, so Paul's telling us that you know, the, the judgment that those who came under, who initiated the, cra- the, the complaining, and those who initiated the cravings came under judgment, and we are given that as an example and as a warning of the path not to walk in. Right. There's a song I uh, heard that I like, and it's, I don't know, it was a Randy Travis song, but it talks about, um, you know, like when you're crossing this stream, you know, step on the rocks that I stumbled on, you know? So it's like, hey, look, you saw where I stumbled on that rock. No, 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 actually, don't stumble on it. Let that be something that helps you along the way to make it across better than I did, right? Learn from my mistakes. 
And so within it all, we need to stand firm, right, and to not allow ourselves to be dragged down by evil speech or by our own recognition of something that's wrong, right? And we need to we need to stand firm and to model what is good, not just for ourselves but for others as well, because that's that's part of what a disciple. I mean, a disciple is there to learn, right? But then a discipler becomes one who disciples. And so we have to model what is good such that others can, can walk or uh, not stumble on, on rocks, right? Okay, so we need to look on situations and circumstances with faith and trust and believing really in what can be regardless of what our eyes see. So our, our gospel reading this week came from Matthew, and it was speaking of the feeding of the, the 5,000, but I wanted to go to John for the the way the story is told in John chapter 6, verses 5 through 14. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Yeshua said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? Yeshua said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Yeshua then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Now, so looking at this story, you know, you wonder, how, how did the disciples feel? I mean, here Yeshua said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? You know, Yeshua knew what was going on, but, but Philip didn't. And he had to look at this and say, how impossible is it? And actually, that's what the scripture said, right? <laughs> he said, it would be impossible for us to have enough money to go and buy the food for all these people to eat. And then even within uh, Andrew's response, right? He said, there's a boy, boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And I was thinking about how I don't know how how our response, the words we say, the tone we we use, can indicate what's really going on in our mind or in our hearts, right? Um, I was just thinking, like, well, what if he had said, "Hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish," with hopeful expectation, right? But that would have been hard to do, right? I mean, it'd be hard to to ha- be excited about that. But but Yeshua was excited about it. You know, he knew that that was enough, right? <laughs> and uh, so Yeshua saw rightly, you know, he didn't, Yeshua saw the lack. He knew that the lack existed, but he didn't allow that to determine the course that he would take, right? Because he actually saw the provision that was yet unseen in the physical. And he blessed God for it, 
right? He had the people sit down, and then he took the loaves, and he gave thanks. You have to wonder. There probably were people in the crowd looking at him like, you're crazy. <laughs> you're crazy. What are you doing? But anyway, but he knew. Yeshua saw rightly. And within this, you know, the, the lens that we look at things through matters. Yeshua had the right lens from which to look at. He was able to see a reality that was beyond the physical limitations. And I wish I had looked this, this study up. It's one that stuck in my head a long time ago. And it had to do with quantum physics. I really want to go back and study this sometimes when I, sometime when I have time. We'll see when that happens. But the, the thing was... They were doing experiments where if you pass like a, a beam of light or a laser through some kind of a uh, know, it was a lens or a slit, something like that, and the beam would divide and like go into 10 spots. But if somebody was watching it, it wouldn't divide. They, it was like it would just go into one spot. It was The thing was that the observation of somebody watching this caused a different outcome. And it's inexplicable from logic, right? Because you'd be like, if a tree falls in the forest, does it make any sound? It's like, yes, of course it makes sound. Anyway. <laughs> uh, but anyway, but with this, it was the same kind of concept of observation changed it, changed the outcome. And there's some kind of explanation for it that I can't give here. But what I was thinking on it is that even our expectations can affect outcomes. Even our expectation. And it's not just from some scientific quantum physics aspect, but also because our expectations will affect our actions. How hard would you work on something if you believed it was doomed to fail? Or even if you were to work on it, would you really put in the same effort or quality that you would if you really believed in it or thought that it was going to become something. You know, but within that, um, if our expectations do affect outcomes, then how important is our hope for tomorrow? How important is our hope and expectation that this wind of change, Ben, as you talked about earlier, can come. That where the river moving one direction could turn and go the other. The wind could change. That we could actually be recognizing that it doesn't matter how things are going right now. Through the might of the Lord, we can see the change. We can see the fish and the bread multiplied. Now within all this... Um, we'd all we'd all love to see the instantaneous change and the immediate shift in whatever it is, whatever obstacle that we're facing, or whatever it is that we see that's not going uh, the way that we would want it to. But the thing that we need to remember is that we're not to to despise small beginnings, right? Even the little changes that begin, we're to give glory to the Lord for, and we're to recognize and to celebrate along the way. Right, Because think about this, Let, let's say that you're working towards uh, some kind of change and you see, you see a spark of hope 
And you say, that's just a spark. Versus, there it is. There's a spark. Right? The Lord is beginning to move and he's beginning to act. You'll affect the spark and the, and the what, what follows based on thanksgiving, based on expectation, which is going to flow into our actions. And by the way, don't let other people put your spark out. Too often, we'll get a, we'll get a ray of hope. And maybe, maybe you share that ray of hope with somebody. And they're like, yeah, don't get your hopes up. Or, no, nah, it's not going to work. You know? Now we have to overcome that. I, uh, there's one example that really stands out in my mind of that. Um, so, it was a good number of years ago. And, may have, have a little trouble, but we'll see. Okay, so it was a good number of years ago. <clears throat> and, uh, we had gotten some hope with 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 a solution or, or with help. This isn't part of the message, so I should skip it. <laughs> no. um, but we'd gotten some hope with regard to David's health a number of years ago. And like we'd seen this doctor and and we really felt like the Lord was moving and, and giving us a direction to go. And so we were excited. And I went to a men's group that night. You know, I shared, you know, what was going on and what, what course we were going. And man, the guys just came down and like, that's not that's not worth anything, that's not any good. Or whatever, and you know why it shooks me up. I, I don't know because I wasn't discouraged in the moment because I wouldn't let it <laughs> tear me down. But right now it's choking me up. I don't know why. But but the thing is, I made it through that meeting, and I, I uh, got in my car to drive home, and the song uh, came on. And it was at the top of my lungs. I will sing hallelujah. Man, I cranked that song, and I was. One of those crazy people you see driving down the road, singing it, singing with all his might very poorly, but somehow the Lord thought it sounded good. <laughs> but the thing is, we, we can't let negativity and complaints crush the spark of hope that we have, that God's planted in us. We need to take hold of what the Lord is giving and celebrate Him and at the top of our lungs, like crazy people, sing hallelujah, driving down the road. Keep your eyes on the road. <laughs> um, that, was, that was not our men's group. Just it was not our men's group. It was a long time ago, well before anyone in this room, except David, is around. <laughs> and uh, praise God, his healing is continuing day by day. Um, praise God. And uh, so anyway, yeah, so we have to hold on. We have to not despise small beginnings. We have to declare the goodness of the Lord and be thankful for all things, even when they're difficult. Right? Because we know that even in the difficulties and the challenges that come up, God takes us and proves our character. Right? 
Our character is proven through the trials. And even in Judaism, they, they teach that uh, there's a blessing upon hearing bad news. And the blessing is, blessed is the true judge. Blessed is the true judge. And think about that, even in our trials, just to still look to the Lord and know, you know what? He's still a God of justice. He's still on the throne. He's still a God who keeps promises. He's our true judge. But we have to see the blessing in what's been given to us. Right? If we don't look for the blessings, if we don't look for the hope, then we could miss it. There's uh, many of you probably heard about uh, George, George Muller, who lived in, I think he was in the UK. Anyway, it's been a while since I've read his uh, biography, but he, was, he, was, he started up orphanages. For, for children who were really just going to be left on the streets. And the Lord had told him uh, to start up this orphanage or either it was to build a new building. I can't remember the details now, I'm sorry. But the Lord had told him to do it. And of course, he didn't have the funds to do it. But yet he goes out, and one of the children who is in the orphanage comes up with a little penny. And he says, here, this is for the new orphanage. And he takes the penny and says, thank you, Lord, for confirming your word. One penny. One penny. It didn't matter how small it was. It was that spark, and he took hold of it. And I don't know how many people he has helped, but it's incredible. There's another story where he had all these boys, and they had no food anymore. Like The, the orphanage had run out of food. And so they came down to breakfast, and he had all the boys sit and get ready for, for their breakfast. And he sat down and thanked the Lord for his provision with nothing on the table to eat. And in the door, there was a knock. And a, a baker showed up and said, I've been up all night baking for you guys because the Lord told me to bake for you. And so he had all this bread. And then... Not long after that, there was a knock on the door, and the milkman was there because the wheel on his carriage had broken right outside the door of the orphanage. And he said, you know what? To be able to fix my carriage, I've got to be able to get all this load off of it. You know, and this is going to spoil, so hey, do you need any milk? <laughs> so there they had their full breakfast. Thanking the Lord before it was even provided he had eyes to see. He had the lens to see. He could have sat there and complained and said, God, you said you, you told me to build this orphanage. And yet I have no food for the kids. Let's all complain. Everybody stay in your room. No, come down. Sit at the table and let's thank the Lord. And then let's just see God step up. Can we really live like this? Right? Can we really live like this? Can we really choose to see the good? Or are we captives to complaining and negativity? We're not. <laughs> We're not owned by our emotions, by our feelings, by our thoughts, by our intellect. Right? When I said all that, you know, what I just said, our emotions, our feelings, our thoughts. We own them. They don't own us, right? <laughs> if we own them, we actually are in charge 
and we're no longer a slave to them, right? We've been set free and made a new creation that we can walk in a newness of life, not according to the old way, not according to the old way of thinking or the old way of seeing, the old way of acting, but according to this new nature that we've been given. We've been set free to live, move, and have our being in God. And we can do this all, all by the power of the Spirit. And we overcome by the Spirit. We overcome by the Spirit. In our half reading this week, we read about a time when the second temple was to be rebuilt, or was being rebuilt. In Zechariah 2, starting in verse 10, Scripture says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day, and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. And the Lord will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all all flesh, before the Lord, for he has roused himself from his holy dwelling. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan but standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from, from him. And he said, And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are are a sign. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch, for behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. So within this passage, Joshua, and and actually, um, and Zerubbabel, Joshua being the high priest and Zerubbabel being the descendant of the line of David who, who would be king if, they had authority to set a king over them at that point, are being encouraged by Zechariah and by Haggai the prophet at the same time in moving forward to build the temple and to not to lose heart despite all the obstacles and challenges that they were facing along the way because they did face many challenges and obstacles, opposition from people who were um, of, of the kingdom of Persia and then also uh, the people of Samaria who were trying to stop the work that was going. There was questions of, can we really move forward in building the temple because they were given the permission to go by Cyrus, but Cyrus wasn't around anymore, and Darius was was ruling. So did they still have the right and authority to go do this? No, it became a question. And then even they, they looked at their finances and said, well, we really don't have enough money to do it. 
either. So God was giving words to Zechariah and to Haggai to go and encourage Joshua and Zerubbabel to move forward and to do this because the Lord was going to provide. And so if they looked at everything from just what they could see, the answer would have been, no, you can't do it. You better just wait for another time. But God was saying, no, look, I've removed the sin of the nation. I have, I have set you up to go forward and to do this. And now go. And he gives the encouragement in Zechariah 4, 6. He says, not by might nor by power, but by my Holy Spirit will this be accomplished. So God said, yeah, you're right. In the flesh, you lack, you lack what you need to do this because you don't have the armies to do it. You don't have the money to do it, you know, but by my spirit, it will come about. And so I, I, I don't have the, the scripture here to read from it, but within the story, what happens is the word goes back to Darius of, hey, these guys shouldn't be doing this. And he has, he has the matter looked into and he finds that Cyrus indeed, indeed did give the children of Israel the right to go back and build the temple. And so Darius writes back and, and tells the, the ruler of the area that, yeah, they absolutely can build it. And not only that, you're going to pay for it. <laughs> oh, how beautiful, right? How beautiful. Every hill made low and every valley raised up. Isn't that what it says in, in Isaiah 40? And in Isaiah 43, that God makes a way in the desert. Amen. He, he provides the way and we do it by his spirit. We can't do it without his spirit. Yeshua could not have multiplied the bread and the fish without the power of the spirit. Moses could not have led the children of Israel without the guidance of the spirit. Right? And the Sanhedrin couldn't have led without the guidance of the spirit either. In Numbers 11, 16 through 17, so Moses has gone to the Lord after the, the complaining and the craving. He said, I can't bear this alone, right? And so the Lord tells him to gather 70 elders right here. Then the Lord said to Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there. And I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. And jumping forward to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and placed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now two men of the 70 remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other named Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? 
Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Yeah. So Moses... could have complained, right? He could have thought of himself as as greater than all the others, such that shouldn't he be the one to prophesy and maybe prophesy the most, right? But his desire was that all would hear from the Lord and all would prophesy. Now, Moses is actually the exact opposite of humility. He was the most humble man on all the earth. He even said so himself, right? And... Oh, goodness, he even said so himself. But he's on the most humble in all the earth, believe me. <laughs> Everyone else arrogant. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, but anyway, but the thing about Moses, so what was it that made him so humble, right? He, had ch- he achieved a level of complete humility by emptying himself. Right, something called betul hayesh, which is the negation, really, of yourself or of your of your desires, of your cravings. You know, anything that would be an obstacle. It's the concept of making yourself an empty vessel, empty of yourself, such that you can be filled by the Lord and His desires. Right. This probably sounds familiar, right? Yeshua who emptied himself and took on the form of a servant, took on flesh that he might carry out the complete will of God. But that's what we're we're called to do, right? We've been given this gift of the Spirit. And then how do we perceive this gift? How do we walk in this gift? Is it something that we just know and go about our day? Or is or is this something where we make room for the Spirit to move and to work within us so that we can actually go and see all that God would accomplish in and through us and with, with those around us? Right. So within this too, you know, kind of jumping back to where the children of Israel were as they were journeying from Mount Sinai headed towards the promised land. It's not surprising that they encountered challenges along the way. Right? Anytime that a move of the Lord is coming or that he's getting ready to do something, challenges are going to arise. You know, these challenges can come from multiple places. You know, they can be an attack of the enemy. They can be something stirring up within us apart from that where there's uncertainty. There's fear. They can push us to a place where we're not acting in our, in our, best, uh, in our best mindset, in our best position of faith. And so... We're gonna have. There are going to be challenges that must be overcome. You know, as we talked about with uh, 
even with Zerubbabel and, and Joshua. They had their challenges, but they looked to the Lord and they trusted in the word of the Lord and in his sufficiency to be able to go forward and to see him prepare the way. So, so it is with us, right? We can expect challenges. It's what we're going to do with those challenges that come up. When division arises, are we going to be ministers of peace? Or are we going to jump on the bandwagon of division, right? Um, we choose a side, right? Now, it's, we, we need to be unifiers, and we need to be those who are going to call out the good and encourage others to see the same, even when it's not ideal. And the idea is looking for the good and then having an attitude of gratitude. You know how many times I heard that as a kid growing up? You need to have an attitude of gratitude. It wasn't quite like that. It was, well, out of respect for my mom, who may end up watching, I won't, I won't impersonate her. <laughs> Love you, mom. But, uh, but there's, you know, but she would say, you need to have an attitude of gratitude. And you know what? There's a lot of us today that need to hear, you need to have an attitude of gratitude. It's true. We do. We all need it. And, um, because, you know, if we believe that God's in control, then we also know that what we have ahead of us, He knows, has been placed in front of us. And He's going to be there with us to walk through it, to overcome it. He's going to give us power by His Spirit to do it. And so may we, may we continue to look to Him, to look to His sufficiency. Not to deny that there may be lack, but to recognize that the lack that we see isn't the end-all, be-all. It doesn't have the final say. And so then we walk forward in faith and with a hope and an expectation of what's to come and seeing God move and bring us through. And God did bring the children of Israel through. It just took longer than expected. Right? So even though there can be circumstances and challenges and delay, God is ever faithful and He's ever true. Amen. Does anybody else have anything that you want to share? Yeah, I think that's a good question. So the question was... No, that's good. It's it's, it's a good question. The question I was hearing basically is, well, is the ability to recognize lack something that God gave us the ability to do, or is it a result of the fall? Like, was there a recognition of lack prior to the fall, right? Or, or is it what we really need to return to? Is this just complete understanding that there is total provision and there's, there's no, uh, there is no real lack? Okay, so I think there's, there's a couple of components to the answer. I think the reality is that there is no real lack pre the fall. But Eve was able to perceive a lack in that she saw that she didn't have the knowledge that God had. And so when it was presented that this thing that you could eat would give you, you would be like God, then she perceived a lack that existed. And so then she took action to try to fix the lack by eating of the fruit. Um, Now, what I would say is that there was no lack, right? Because all was provided through God but her perception, and she had an ability to see, oh, 
there's something here that I don't have. But then her action was not in accordance with righteousness because she didn't say, you know what, I'm going to trust in God. And even though I realize there's a lack, I know that he's my provider and he'll provide me everything that I need, which is the truth. Instead, she bought into the lie of I can attain, I can make it better on my own. Does that make sense? Um, But so, I mean, I think the reality is in God, there is no lack. But on to God and said, what do you think of this idea that I learned? We're not exactly like you. What do you want? Like, how did you make us to be like this? And what do you want us to do in relation to you? It's like, there was none. We just don't hear any of their interaction before the fall, really. <laughs> so yeah. it's just all yeah. wonderings. Yeah, we really don't know. Yeah. It's been... That's really good, Ben. Ben was noting that um, even though Moses had the Spirit, it still didn't make everything easy or without challenge. He still was in need of community. He still had to walk through challenges. And then how God could take that which was good that he'd given to Moses and give it to the others who would be around him and how that there was a spread. And that's that's even, you know, that was a picture of what was to come through Yeshua, right? Who had the Spirit of God and who God took of that Spirit, that Spirit of Messiah, and gave it to those who believe as a sign of the covenant. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we receive of His Spirit and then we walk in that together. And, we, and community is absolutely important in walking out that strength and wisdom that's given by, by the Spirit. Anyone else? All right. Well, praise God. Let's let's pray, and I'll I'll give an announcement. So, Lord, we love you. We bless you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your presence. Thank you, Lord, that you are our hope and our strength. We thank you for the gift of the Spirit. We thank you for the gifts that you've given us, Lord. We ask that you to, we would ask that you would lead us and guide us, Lord. Help us to see as you see, to not be constrained by what we perceive as lack, but that we would see your complete ability to provide. Lord, that we would rejoice in your goodness. We would rejoice in small beginnings. Lord, that we would be those who would be encouragers and those who build up and lift up and not be of those who would complain or tear down, Lord. We thank you for the freedom that we have, that we are not prisoners, but that we have been set free to walk in righteousness and to walk according to your ways and by your Spirit. We thank you for the gift of community. And we give you thanks and praise for all of this. We give you glory in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.